The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, here's something that we have not talked about yet that I want all of you to think about. The average interest rates on credit card debt are 17% APR. 17%. Have you looked at your rate lately? Let me tell you about Lightstream's credit card consolidation loan. Lightstream's fixed interest rates are as low as 5.49% APR with auto pay, and they are backed by the Rate Beat program. Lightstream will beat any qualifying interest rate presented by any other lender. There are no fees, and you could save thousands of dollars in interest. Lightstream is a division of SunTrust Bank, so you can be confident that you're working with one of the nation's largest and strongest financial institutions. And apply today and get additional interest rate discounts on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way for my listeners with good credit to get this special interest rate discount is to go to lightstream.com slash roam lightstream.com slash roam l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m.com slash roam subject to credit approval rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount available only when you select auto pay prior to loan funding terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com for important information about limits on lightstream loans same day funding and rate beat program this date came up and my reaction was to lift my head, which probably exposed my neck. Immediately, uh, I knew something was wrong because of the, uh, the first couple of heartbeats. Of, uh, the blood scored at four or five feet in front of me, and I went, wow, this is serious. And then it just kind of gurgled out. Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. This is episode 32, and my guest is former NHL goaltender, Clint Malarchik. Now, if you're an old-school hockey fan like me, you certainly know Clint. Even if you're not, you likely know him because of what happened on the night of March 22, 1989. Here's the pass. On into the Buffalo zone. Mahar goes to the corner of the pass. And oh, wow! Uh, watch Malarchuk. That's the story right now with God. the red. Oh, oh look in. That is the... Oh, oh God. Oh, please take the camera off oh, it. Don't geez. even bring it over there, please. Oh, my God. Just keep it away. Oh, oh terrible. Oh my, oh, my God, what happened? What happened was one of the most terrifying accidents in sports history. Clint took a skate blade to his carotid artery and jugular vein and lost a liter and a half of blood. He was rushed off the ice and into emergency surgery. Somehow, some way, he miraculously survived. But that's not even the most amazing part of Clint's unbelievable journey because 19 years after that brush with death, he had yet another. And somehow he survived that and changed his entire life. This is an absolute must-listen and a critical podcast. So pot up. Ep32 gets started right after this word from Dollar Shave Club. Why don't we do a little word association, right? When I say Dollar Shave Club, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Probably an amazing, affordable shave. If that's the case, 
Check this out because Dollar Shave Club now has everything. I mean everything that you need to look, smell, and feel your very best. Shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, and of course, the best razors ever. And yes, I get an amazing, affordable, high-quality shave every single morning from my Dollar Shave Club executive razor. But the real hero of any morning routine is the Dr. Carver Shave Butter. It helps the razor gently glide across your skin. You have to experience to believe it. Another must-have experience is how Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you. That means no more trips to the store, wandering the aisles, looking for razors, shampoo, and toothpaste. For a mind-blowing experience, join Dollar Shave Club right now. And for only 5 bucks with free shipping, you'll get the 6-Blade Executive Razor Plus trial sizes of Shave Butter, Body Cleanser, and One Wipe Charlies. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash Rome. I've done this for years. I wish I had done it even sooner. dollarshaveclub.com slash Rome. Not surprising, but even after a podcast on Friday, my voicemail box is at max capacity only a few days later on Tuesday. I mean, you degenerates love the hell out of this thing. 72 hours later and the little red light is pulsating once again. So why don't we see if we can rebound from that dead boring, forgettable C-minus effort last week. Let's see what you've got on the quick turnaround. Let's see the bounce back effort. Do not let me down. We did have have a very good thing going we were actually on a heater then you slipped now let's write this ship let's get this thing back in the wind column you have 12 new messages first new message well long time listener brother high as hell right now but not too high just taking a couple of gems off this elk podcast squirt the sandwich bro Shaking his titties, bro. Fuck him too, bro. Oh my god, this thing is a fucking classic. Peace. Message saved. Next message. You're Jim Rome. This is Bill Walton here, and I am a great fan of the show. Your takes are like the lava that spews from Jerry Garcia's guitar. Message deleted. Next message. Romy. Joe on the farm here. Conor McGregor is a straight douchebag, man. What a fucking idiot. Act like an adult. Love the show, man. Message saved. Next message. This is David in Buffalo. I'm calling my shot right now. Vegas will win the Stanley Cup playoffs. An expansion team will win it all. Grant Napier's buddy, uh, George McPhee, the GM, put together a team full of guys that are underdogs, guys that are hungry. I'm going with Marc-Andre Fleury to beat his old team in seven games in the finals. Oh, by the way, Ovechkin will be golfing in May. He always does it. Message saved. Next message. Yo, Rome, just heard the Elk podcast. That dude's a fucking legend, yeah? Letter, Mike. Message deleted. Next message. This is Andy from Rockland. I kind of feel sorry for Sergio. I do because... I remember doing that same thing when I was 14. I'm serious. I've, I've been playing golf my whole life, but I remember one time when I was in Arizona on this one hole, there was water. I don't think I hit it 13 times. I think I didn't like three, but I think everybody should give him a break pretty much. 
Yeah, the the grain was coming down. Um, I'm just saying, like, give him a break. Everybody give Sergio a great break. I will. I love you guys. Let's watch the Masters, because I will be, because I love golf. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, uh, it's Tiger. Look, I'm playing like shit. Can you Google closest Perkins restaurants to Augusta, Georgia? Text me back, thanks. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, what's up, Roman? Stock your day. Message deleted. Next message. Now you're Scott in the Bay. Draymond Green absolutely crushed it. Love the inside. Love the macro view of everything. How everything sort of got put in place. Awesome. Thanks. Message saved. Next message. John Gallo. Si se puede cosemuelo. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmers. My goodness. I could listen to you rail on Hawk all the live long day. That is must-listen radio. Please continue. Thank you. Message deleted. Next message. This is Orenthal. I just want to say that I was here at the Masters, and oh, it didn't go good. It was just sliced, sliced, sliced. Message deleted. You have no more messages. Where do I start? Maybe the secret to the voicemails is changing your voice. Like, stop calling me hammered and start calling me high as a freaking kite. Yo, bro, thank you for calling my show high as hell, but not too high to take a couple of gems off the elk pod. You're right, man. That was epic. And Andy, 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 I had no idea you were such a golf fan. I'm not going to lie. That was something of a surprise, but I am sorry. Nobody is feeling sorry for Sergio. Nobody not named you. Not after that dude rinsed five straight Callaways in the pond. Both you know and I know that you would never, ever do that when you peg it up. In fact, nobody I know would. As for the rest of you imposters, that was not John Sterling. That was not Bill Walton. I've spoken with Bill Walton. I've sat with Bill Walton. That was not Bill Walton. Just like I'm pretty sure that was not Orenthal calling from Augusta. There's no way that that place is going to let a two-time murderer inside the ropes. And sorry, Cat, I got nothing for you. There is not a Perkins that I know of within 100 miles of Augusta. But I'm guessing the real Tiger already knew that. Now, I will tell you, that was better. That was a better batch of voicemails. Not good, but better. Not good, but barely good enough to take this thing off of life support. So, the machine does live to see another episode, but barely. Now let me get at you about something that can survive damn near anything at all. 3M Post-It Extreme Notes. Let's take a moment. I want to talk to you about the daily grind. I want to talk to you about where you work. Now me, I work in a rather pristine environment. I'm not proud of this. I'm lucky for this, but I don't have issues communicating with those around me because of where we work. Now you, on the other hand, might work on a hot, dusty job site or maybe in a loud, wet kitchen. You have to communicate with your coworkers, but it's hard to do because of the elements, because of the environment. I've got a solution to that problem. New Post-it extreme notes. You can get your message across and get the job done in literally any weather condition, in any of the elements, rain, heat, humidity. New post-it extreme notes are water resistant. They're also made with Durahold paper and adhesive, so they'll stick to almost anything at all. They'll stick to concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick. 
What I'm saying is it almost doesn't matter what the task is, where the job site is, you can still get your message across with new Post-it Extreme Notes. Buy them today wherever you get your Post-it Notes. These things literally are amazing. There is no reason for you not to get your point across to those you work alongside with Post-it Extreme Notes. Clint Malarchik was known for his toughness as a hockey player. Now, let's be straight about this. If you play in the NHL, you're tough. You're very tough. But this is something altogether different. Just 10 days after taking that skate to his neck and nearly dying and bleeding out on the ice, he was right back between the pipes playing again. But coming back from that horrifying injury was not his only challenge. Unbeknownst to him, he was also battling mental health issues, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, PTSD, all of which pushed Clint to a dark and desperate place and to a point where he put a rifle to his chin and pulled the trigger. The gun went off, the bullet fired right through his jaw, knocked out some teeth, blasted through his nasal passage, and lodged in his skull. And despite all odds, he is still here. And now he's committed to helping people deal with some of the same demons that nearly ended his life. Hockey was always Clint Malarchik's identity his entire life. Now he's got a very different mission, a much more important one. My conversation with Clint Malarchik starts right now. Yeah, it's an honor to be on your show. You know, it's great to have you here. Clint, if we could go back March 22nd, 1989, Buffalo going up against St. Louis, you're between the pipes. And Blues forward Steve Tuttle was doing his job. He was crashing the net. What happened next? Well, uh, our, our defenseman was kind of hooked and holding up, which you can't do nowadays, obviously. But uh, Steve's sequence, you know, flipped out straight forward underneath him. And I was coming across the net in the butterfly. And uh, the skate came up. And my reaction uh, was to lift my head, which probably exposed my neck uh, a lot a lot worse than had I kept my uh, chin down, but uh, it's reflex. And uh, immediately uh, I, I, I knew something was wrong because of the, uh, the first couple of heartbeats of, of, my, of my heart. Uh, the blood squirted four or five feet in front of me, and I went, wow, this is, uh, this is serious. And then it just kind of gurgled out. And, uh, you know, Jim, I really thought I was, going to die because, uh, you know, you hear about you hit a main artery or, or, or main vein and uh, you've got minutes uh, to to live. And uh, so I really thought I was, I was going to die and I believed that uh, I got a few minutes and I got a lot of repentance to, to do in <laughs> two or three minutes, not nearly enough time. Uh, but uh, so I had, I immediately got up and got off the ice because everybody was, uh, their faces, I could just see the reaction in their faces. Uh, everybody was horrified. I was scared. Um, I asked the trainer to call my mom, tell her I'm over. You know, so basically I'm preparing uh, for, for death. I, you know, I asked the team uh, pastor to come in and, and uh, you, you know, so it was pretty, uh, I guess, uh, traumatic for me at the time. Uh, I, I think the doctor was awesome. Our, our, our trainer, Jim Picatelli, who was the first guy on the scene when he, skated, when he uh, slid out and put pressure on my uh, on my neck, uh, probably saved my life. And a lot of people don't know, but Jim was in Vietnam and had uh, he not had that scene, those type of things before, I don't know how a person would handle that. 
you know, Clint, it's amazing that he was the right guy in the right spot, but you also said that there were two things that were going through your mind right after it happened. What were those two things? The two things, aside from the fact that you were terrified that you were going to die, you did think of two things. What were they? Well, uh, the two things, I shoot, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that went through my mind. I basically wanted to get off the ice, number one, because I didn't want my... Uh, my mother watching the game back uh, out west on TV to see her son die, uh, you know, right in front of her on TV. That would be uh, pretty horrific. And, and the other thing was I, I wanted to get off and, and uh, skate off on my own power because, you know, you kind of remembered for your last, uh, your last <laughs> act in life, I guess. Clint, that's it. I mean, the two things I was getting at was, number one, you knew your mother was watching on satellite and you did not want her to see that. Number two, it was just part of ingrained in who you were, right? You you wanted to be strong. You wanted to be tough. You wanted to be that guy. Not that anybody would have thought otherwise. I mean, you were dying literally right there on the ice, but you did not want to be perceived as somebody who would not get up and go. So that's why you went. You just had to get up and go. Well, well that's the way we were brought up as, as kids and hockey players back, back in those days, you know, unless – Unless if you could get up and skate off, uh, and, and you know I played with guys that you know that come to mind uh, that over the years that were like that. I've seen Dale Hunter play with the uh, blood gushing out of him, and they were trying to stitch him up between uh, a shift, and he said, "No, we'll wait till the end of the period." You know, guys like that. But uh, we're brought up a certain way, and, and I think that is it. Is it? You don't lay on the ice and, and get the attention. You you get up and you skate off. So yeah, those those two things. Uh, my mom watching and and me wanting to die. I, kind of honorably, I guess you say, for lack of better words. Hmm. So Clint, the, the cut itself. How many stitches were required to close that wound? Well, the inside damage, you know, ligaments and and the tendons and and everything, and, and on the outside was three hundred, is what I was told. Uh, you know, it's almost it's twenty nine years ago and. The scar is still very visible, but uh, it's shrunk them quite a bit. You know, it used to be about six inches uh, along my neck and uh, very, very visible. It's probably the first thing you'd see on me <laughs> when you looked at me. So we were trying to heal, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the hardest part was the emotional healing and, uh, you know, coming back. And that's part of the reason I came back as quick as I did. I came came back, you know, I was told take the season off, take the uh, retirees, and I was told by a doctor, he said, that's, uh, that's enough maybe for you, and, um, you know, I, I, there was no way I was having that, I wanted to come back as soon as the uh, stitches came out, and I was able to, and, uh, you know, part of that was probably proving to people uh, that I could come back, that I could be the same goalie, and, and to be honest with you, Jim, part of it was trying to prove to myself that, hey, I got to get back in there, you know. Uh, make sure, you know, you, when I was brought up on a ranch, you get bucked off a horse, you get right back on so you don't have that fear. And, you know, so that, that attitude, uh, definitely, uh, you know, got me back in quick. And the, the result of that, me coming back, uh, so quick is, uh, Buffalo embraced me. I mean, I became, uh, like a cult hero in that town. And, uh, they just, you know, it's a blue collar sports town. And I kind of epitomized everything that, uh, People liked in, in in Buffalo and an athlete, you know, hardworking, gritty, no talent, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, they they really embraced me and supported me, and I got through the season on that pure support and that adrenaline, and I really uh, embraced. They embraced me, but I embraced them. I thought, wow, you know, they're embracing me so much, supporting me so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this season best the best way I can. It wasn't until uh, 
the next season when I started to develop uh, trauma symptoms. Uh, you know, I think as a kid, you know, if you know my story a little bit, you know, I suffered with, uh, you know, some depression and OCD symptoms, uh, uh, panic attacks and, and things like that. But they kind of went dormant uh, through a lot of my career. But after that accident, the next year, uh, my obsessive compulsive disorder, I mean, it took me hours to leave the house for practice. Um, uh, the panic attacks that I was having, uh, the, the depression symptoms, but the worst was the nightmares. I started to have these very vivid nightmares where as soon as I'd nod off, I'd see that skate come up and I just wake straight up in bed, just, just straight up. And I, it got to the point where I, I really couldn't sleep anymore. But I, Jim, I did all this in silence. I didn't tell a, a soul what, uh, what was going on. And probably because of the stigma with mental illness or, you know, being weak and, uh, you know, we pursue, I think society, or at least athletes and, and, and maybe military first responders perceive maybe these type of symptoms as weak. Uh, of course, now I know I was sick, not weak, but uh, uh, yeah, that's when things really uh, kind of went downhill for me. Clint, I've done this a long, long time. I've done this literally for decades. I don't really know any stories quite like this one. I want to make sure that the listeners understand what we're talking about here. You suffered a, an injury that could have killed you on the ice. It looked like it was going to. One doctor said, you're done, you're retired, don't come back. You literally were back on the ice 10 days later. It was toughness and grit that got you there. Then you had the adrenaline of the city. I know the town you're talking about. Buffalo is an amazing sports town. It's a blue-collar town, and they worship that grit and that toughness. I could see where that would carry you through the rest of the year, but then the year is over and the severity of the injury sets in and you start to think about it. In terms, Clint, of those nightmares, I mean, in other words, you take the worst thing that could ever possibly happen, and you had to relive that every single night. Am I right? Yeah, you're at, you know, not, not immediately, Jim. It was next season that you mentioned, but uh, at first the, the nightmares were, you know, every every one, once a week and then every second day and then it was every night and then it was where uh, over and over every night, just I couldn't, I could not sleep, and I went ten days uh, without sleeping, or very, very little, maybe some dozing off here and there. But uh, I ended up just sitting in a chair, like a like a lazy boy chair, because I, I didn't really want to get into a deep sleep because I knew if I did, uh, I, I had to. And wasn't just reliving it mentally. You know, you see the skate, you wake up. Uh, I still had the symptoms of the heart pounding, the the emotion of of dying. Or thinking you're going to die, and uh, so yeah, and it, it, it was uh, it was after the the summer I had time to process things, or at least that adrenaline and, and shock or whatever got me through the rest of the that one season, and then that summer. That's when it really started to affect. All right, so then you're dealing with anxiety, depression, paranoia, and it's getting worse and worse. I mean, obviously you needed some help, you needed counseling. Did you seek counseling? No, I think, no, that's the funny part. It, it, it's, uh, it, 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 no counseling was brought up. This was in 1989, and I didn't think of it either, Jim. I just thought the best thing I could do is get back in the net as quick as I could. And, um, you know, I, I had huge support, standing ovation when I returned, and, and just love and support. And I, I just think that got me through, uh, you know, everything. But it was... It was it was a hard ride once things started to go south on me. You know, it was uh, uh, the severity of the panic attacks I'd have. My God, they were terrible. But the funny part, I'd go to the rink and I'd show uh, no signs of that. I mean, I kept it all inside. Uh, I was always kind of a clown and a fun guy. And, you know, 
uh, good, tried to be a good teammate and support guys. And so I, I, I don't think anybody saw those those symptoms until uh, until it got really bad. So, Clint, when you mentioned a few moments ago that you went literally 10 days without sleep, 10 days, I think we all know what it's like when you're sleep-deprived and you go a day without sleep, even two days without sleep, all of a sudden probably you start to have trouble distinguishing between what's real and what's not. You start to hallucinate. Were things like that happening? Uh, yes, I would say not so much hallucinating, but paranoia. I had some paranoia. Uh, you know, and sleep de- deprivation, yeah, 10 days, that's a long time. Plus, uh, you, you know, I was doing it all in silence. And we had a, a Super Bowl party at Pat LaFontaine's house, and that's when, uh, uh, I mean, I, I was really not comfortable. It was like social anxiety being around my teammates at a, at a house party, and I just, I had a couple beers and left, and, and uh, when I went back home, I, I, you know, I'm not thinking right off. It's a good way to stay these nightmares and panic attacks. And I had some painkillers because I was trying to play through an injury. And it, said, it was a different injury. And it said, do not drink with alcohol. will make you drowsy. So I took a few extra painkillers um, and drained a bottle of scotch. And my heart stopped. And that's when uh, at the hospital, uh, after being revived the next day, I, it was a psychiatrist or psychologist was asking me, "Hey, was this a suicide attempt?" And I, I said, "No, no, this is what what's happening." And I explained to him about the panic and the uh, anxiety, the, the 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 nightmares, and not having it slept in ten days. And he told me, "Well, well, that's when I got diagnosed. My first diagnosis was uh, with the." with anxiety and depression and obsessive compulsive disorder and but you know uh, uh, trauma back then wasn't really recognized uh, as like PTSD or anything so that was never really brought up uh, for a long time and I saw doctors for uh, two almost three years in Buffalo and my play was getting it, it was affecting me in every aspect of my life and then they put me on a drug called Haldol which is highly sedative and I'm trying to stop 100-mile-an-hour slap shots in, in the NHL, and I'm basically stunned on the sedative. Mm. And uh, so they sent me to the minors in San Diego uh, with the goals. And uh, my first game there, I think I let in four goals on six shots, and I'm devastated, thinking I can't even play in the minors. I told our head coach, Rick Dudley, I'm done. Uh, he said, I thought you were just coming down to get your game back in order that all this other stuff was okay. And I said, no, I've, I've been, I haven't gotten one cent better. So he got me into a great doctor in San Diego who actually put me on this uh, medication uh, that really worked. And he explained to me, he said, you know, you, you, again, trauma wasn't brought up, but he did say you have a serotonin deficiency, you know, you just like a chemical imbalance, like... Uh, diabetic would have. He says, yours is with the brain. You don't produce enough serotonin. And within six weeks, I was doing great. For 15 years, you were fine. You were on your medication. Everything was good. But then you developed an immunity to that. And then Richard Zednick had his throat slashed by a skate during a regular season game in Buffalo. That was in 2008. That was 19 years after your accident. If I could, can you tell me what kind of an impact that had on you 19 years after the fact when it may have seemed like you were well beyond what happened to you? Well, exactly. I, you know, these meds that I had been on for 15 years uh, were working great for a long, long time. But over time, uh, uh, my body got immune to them. They weren't working. And then Richard Zednick happened. And, of course, uh, I was working in the NHL with Columbus and I'm very accessible to the media. And the media was asking me, you know, all about my story. So I had to basically relive 
the trauma of 19 years before that I'd never, ever addressed, um, you know, and just was on these meds that seemed to help me over a long time. But uh, the combination of the meds wearing off, uh, uh, body being immune to them, and then Zednik happening, uh, you know, led me to the spiral downward in life. And in fact, not only was there media and you were accessible, but they started to show the highlights of what happened to you over and over again. And at that point, you started to drink, right, in excess. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was drinking I was drinking a lot. I mean, uh, uh, self-medication, which uh, people with mental illness, uh, there's a big correlation between uh, self-medicating and, and mental illness. And, you know, the thing is, I was drinking, you know, a lot of beer, 30 beers a day and I'm Canadian, so American beers are it's only like four or five. But uh, that uh, that was what I was going through. I was drinking that much, and you know, I was drinking to calm myself. The anxiety, the panic attacks were coming back. Uh, I thought my meds were still, you know, working, but obviously they weren't. And um, yeah, I was just self-medicating, trying to get through a day, uh, you know, one day at a time, basically. And it was a struggle. It was a real struggle. So, Clint, on October 7, 2008, you were home alone one night. You had been drinking beer once again, lots of beer. What happened on that night? Well, I, I drank pretty much all the night before. You know, 2.30 in the afternoon, uh, I, was, I was outside uh, shooting targets up behind my barn. And, uh, you know, my wife had come home and said, what, uh, what's going on? You don't look good. Uh, and she, know I, she, she knew I was drinking a lot, and she was trying to get me some help. And... Um, so I, I just said, you know what, I can't live in my head. And I didn't even know if I had any more bullets in the gun. And, and I just put it under my, uh, my chin and, and, and pulled the trigger. And all of a sudden, pop, uh, you know, there is a bullet. And I didn't lose consciousness. Uh, amazingly, it got stuck in my skull. And, uh, you know, I was walking around conscious. I was telling my wife, I can fix this. I can stitch it. I've done home stitches before. Um, this is, you know, I didn't want, uh, the police and, and paramedics there because it would be, uh, look like a suicide attempt. So she called 911 and I told her, she said, you tell them it was an accident. I was calling to the fence with the gun and the gun went off. Uh, later on, they changed, they, they thought they, uh, they suspected a suicide attempt. And they told my wife, she better change the story. Otherwise, as soon as I'm out of the hospital, I can, I can, uh, I can leave and, I obviously needed help, uh, and I, you know, so uh, that's what happened. And I, I, uh, I was in a coma for. They put me in a coma for a couple of weeks or, or ten days or something. And then once I got uh, physically able to uh, leave the hospital, I went straight to a treatment center where I was for, uh, in there for six months. And uh, they were trying to deal with. Uh, obviously, they, I claimed all my depression, anxiety, even the alcoholism. Uh, but they, I, they were trying to tell me the PTSD is what probably really set me off. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, well, what was it like the, you know, year or two after your accident in Buffalo? And I kind of went, hmm, well, I did struggle that, <laughs> those nightmares and, and that. So once I accepted the PTSD, uh, I went, I went forward and, and got, you know, into letting her, uh, do the counseling that she needed to do with me and, and got well. And uh, ever since then, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book to help people with uh, mental illness and, uh, and addiction. Uh, I, I, and, and you know one thing, I'll tell you, uh, you know, Jim, the book, I wrote to help people, but I didn't know what to impact people. Um, I put my email in the back of the book, 
and I did it for a reason, and I wanted little feedback. And uh, I just did not realize how many people out there struggle with mental illness, um, whether it's depression, anxiety, OCD, uh, you know, borderline personality disorder, all sorts of things. I was overwhelmed with uh, people that related to my darkness, my suffering, my even 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 my attempt to take my own life. I was totally amazed, and and you know what. I was very honored because there's a at least there was players from every major sport that uh, read the book and emailed me and said thank you. I thought I was the only one, not really struggling with mental illness, but I talk a lot about the pressures of the game, how it affects us, how it affects our families, um, and and people think we're infallible and we wear a Superman cape and go through life making money, and it's not always like that for for athletes. Hmm. Clint, I mean, it's so true. There's so many people that are suffering with so many things and suffering in silence where maybe they think they're the only one or they don't know where to turn, and you're courageous enough to write that book and tell this story, and people are reacting, and I'm not surprised by that. If you could go back, the, the point about the rifle, that you just said something, and I, I, I want to be clear on this. You had told Joni, your wife, you don't know what it's like to live with my brain. What did you mean by that, and, and was that a suicide attempt? Um. Well, obviously, it was a suicide attempt, but it was kind of a half-ass one, I guess, because, I, like I said, I didn't even know if there was... Uh, I'm obviously not in a good uh, uh, mental state, and there was a lot of paranoia going on at that time, um, but I didn't know if, 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 the, if the, the clip was empty or not. And, uh, and you know, I did want to turn... I didn't want to die. I really wasn't like, hey, I, I just want to end my life. I just wanted to turn the brain off because I couldn't. I, I got into a point where, again, I wasn't sleeping much. Uh, I was self-medicating. Uh, if, I, if I wasn't depressed, I, I was totally anxious. Uh, my brain would not stop. My wife says I had about two hours in the morning, and at about 10 o'clock in the morning, my, she said you could see it in your eyes, you could see it in your face, that you were just starting to spin. And that's when I would... Uh, usually just start to drink a beer or two and try and just calm my head down. And so, yes, it was a suicide attempt, but uh, uh, did I want to die? No. That doesn't make sense, but it's the truth. I didn't want to die, but I wanted to turn my brain off somehow of the pain and uh, the spinning that I couldn't control any longer. That does make sense to me, actually. I'm not sure exactly what that's like, but that does make sense. Of course, you don't want to die, but you want to turn your brain off. And, Clint, I mean, I I don't know how it's even possible to survive what you survived on the ice. And to be clear about this, that bullet traveled through your jaw. It knocked out a couple of teeth. It ricocheted through your nasal passages and it ended up getting stuck, lodged in your skull. So the fact that you cheated death again a second time is amazing. You know, you touched on PTSD. When they first told you that you probably had post-traumatic stress disorder, did you accept that initially? Uh, that, you know what, Jim, that is a great question because I was in that treatment center for six months. In the first two months, I was, they were trying to say this PTSD, we've got to address it because I think it's been uh, a big, big issue in your life and without you even knowing it, you've, you've been almost 20 years uh, undiagnosed and now we're telling you, you've got PTSD and I was, I was so insulted. <laughs> huh, sure. You know, I claimed the alcohol as an end of depression, anxiety and mental illness to a point, but the PTSD, uh, because it was a... I was a rock star in Buffalo. I came back in 10 days. It was like, that was my claim to fame. I, I, didn't, I wasn't the most talented goalie by any means, but 
you know, I was tough and I did come back and I did hang my hat on, on, uh, coming back quick and finishing the season and trying to, uh, resurrect my career. And so I was kind of insulted by it, but it was because of the, the stigma with mental illness. You know, I, I, if I said I had PTSD, that would be like saying, Hey, I'm weak. And what I did in Buffalo was just a fluke or something like that. I was very, like I said, kind of almost insulted by it. But once I learned about the, uh, what, what the, you know, the illness is and the military that goes through it, they're the toughest people in the world to go and do a job what they do, but they come back and we have 22 suicides a day in the U.S. You know, they, are they weak? No, they are the most tough, toughest mentally men and women that we know. But they come back and self-medicate and go through things like I, I went through and, uh, and they, they attempt suicide. So once I, I accepted it as, as a sickness or an injury uh, and not a weakness, that's when I, I realized, hey, okay, if military guys can get this, I guess I can accept it too. You bet. You know it. Clint, so if hockey was your sole identity, if hockey was your sole purpose, I mean, you were an NHL player, you were a goaltender, you were the toughest SOB ever, and then you no longer have that because you're retired, you've moved on. What now then is your identity and your purpose? Another great question. Uh, you know, I, I really, I, I, like, I didn't know the book would be so powerful to, to me, to me, uh, to realize how many people out there suffer. And that I was, you know, helping them either realize they're sick and get help or a loved one. Uh, so my purpose, I mean, I, I, I think that's why I, I had some NHL experience or, or even a little success. Uh, but that's also why I had a bunch of demons through my life and struggled with a lot of things that the two things come together. NHL gives me a bit of a platform. Um, having played and coached and then all the demons I fought and still fight today sometimes, Jim. You know, I mean, I, I'm doing great, but, uh, you know, I, I still have dark times and I'm almost grateful for them because it keeps me fueled to know that there's people in the real dark place where I used to be. And I know it passes and I do take medication and have a, a balance in life that I have to do every day to, to keep my, you know, mental balance basically. But uh, my purpose, yeah, that's it. I know, I know now why I had the NHL. I know now why I had the demons that I had to fight. Clinton, you speak to groups all over the country now about mental health issues. What do you tell somebody who feels like no one understands what they're going through and they feel like they have nowhere to turn and, frankly, they want to turn their brain off too and they don't know what to do? Well, first of all, today I just had a conversation with a parent whose son, uh, you know, attempted suicide recently, and and my message to him was, you know, it's it's it, it, it's it's not us doing it; it's the illness. We we are sick and we need help. And the problem is, you know, a lot of people just suffer in silence because of the stigma. And we don't get help. And my message is to is out there, public speaking and doing what I do now. Uh, I know what my purpose is to try and get people to realize. And I talked to a lot of military and first responders. I'm going to Fort Benning, Georgia here on May 1st. And, and I think the men, especially that are, uh, brought up, you know, you know, not to cry. I'll give you something to cry about. You know, the old met that the society messages is that, you know, we should tough it through life. And, uh, the big stigma with mental illness is, is, you know, that, we men and women have this problem with it's like saying you're weak and you're not uh, you're hurting and you're sick and you can get help so uh, 
that's my message is that, you know, it's not a weakness and you need to be happy and healthy. There's no reason to go through life in that dark place because there are so many, so much has come since I was hurt in 1989. We got therapy that's actually really, really good. Uh, they're coming up with different counseling and therapy uh, people all the time with new ideas that are helping. They've got the equine therapy that's working now for PTSD uh, medications and, and things and, and that have come a long, long ways. I mean, <laughs> I don't think they put a goalie on held all uh, in today's society and try and uh, say, go, go go play your sedata, go play in the NHL as goalies. <laughs> You're <laughs> so kidding. We're learning all the time, and I want people to know that uh, there's no shame. In, in it, it, it's, it's, it's a chemical imbalance usually. Uh, for me, it is anyways. And, and what is diabetes? It's a chemical imbalance. So I try to get that message. There's no weakness. There's no shame. Uh, you're injured or hurt, and you can get help. So, Clint, a couple of final things. If folks want to read your book, what is the best way to get it? And if they want to reach out to you directly, is that okay? And if so, how would they do that? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's what I do now. I just talk. I try not to give advice so much. I can say what worked and didn't work for me, but I try to support people and maybe make them understand. Like I gave the example of the dad. Uh, uh, trying to understand and uh, me explaining that, hey, uh, he didn't really want to die. I haven't met a suicide survivor yet that, that isn't grateful that they didn't succeed. Mm. I mean, it, it, we're all going, wow, uh, I'm, getting a, I'm getting another chance here. Uh, and they get well, the cry for help or the, the failed suicide attempt uh, got them the help they needed. Uh, but so many don't get that help because they succeed at suicide. But, um, yeah, to get my book, it's on, you, you can get it on Amazon. In, in the U.S., it's a matter of inches. In Canada, it's called The Crazy Game. We won't go into why there's two titles. It's just two different publishers. But uh, I have a website, malarchuk.com. People can get uh, get through to me that way. My uh, email is canuckranch at Yahoo. And, yeah, I don't mind at all, Jim. It's, it's kind of what I do, I, you know, like going out and speaking, um, I'm trying to start a foundation to help our PTSD and military first responders. Um, so, you know, it's what I do. You know, I'm so glad we had this conversation, Clinton. It's such an important conversation. You broke up a little bit when you told the name of the book. The book is called A Matter of Inches, right? In the U.S., it's A Matter of Inches. In Canada, it's a crazy game. Uh, two different titles, same book. Uh, one's just a U.S. title, one's just a Canadian title. Two different publishers. Hey now, I know plenty of you had a very bad night. You know how I know that? Because I hear your telephone calls. Why did you have a bad night? Probably because snoring kept you from having a great night of sleep. Either you snore or the person next to you snores. And that way nobody is sleeping. Well, that's all about to change once you try the revolutionary Zipa device. Zipa is a game changer. If you snore, you are not sleeping. If you are not sleeping, then you're not succeeding. And if you want success, you simply have to be at your best. Zipa is the solution that helps you get a great night of sleep so you feel awesome when you wake up. Zipa is the only snoring solution of its kind. So if you snore, you need to get a Zipa. If the person next to you snores, they need to get a Zipa. Go to ZYPPAH.com. It's easy to remember because Zipa is simply happy Z spelled backwards. Go to Zipa.com right now. Get yours. Tell everybody you know to get a Zipa. Get the great night of sleep that you need and you deserve. Impossible not to be floored by that conversation with Clint Malarchik. 
If you know somebody who has to hear what he said, direct them to this episode. Share the episode because mental health awareness has never been more important. And his story definitely raises awareness and lets people know that they are not alone. And I'll take whatever feedback you have on what you just heard. Be sure to hit me up on Twitter at Jim Rome. And if you're looking for more content between now and Ep 33, check out the new simulcast, which airs every day on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network. It's channel 221 on DirecTV, channel 158 on Dish. We're also now on Sirius XM, channel 206. Plenty of new ways to find the jungle. I appreciate you finding this podcast. I hope the conversation was meaningful to you in one way or another. And be sure to check back once again next week. Ep 33 looks like it's turning out to be a very big one as well. I will see you then. I'm out.